Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. We have a special guest on Let Me Be Frank today. It's our very own John Grasso, the Director of Digital Media for the Diocese of Bridgeport. He's here to talk about the good work he's done, but more importantly, the impact of social media. It's been a lifeboat over the past year. How do we keep it from being an anchor around our necks? Uh, Bishop Frank and John will discuss the problems and the opportunities in the vast online landscape. So keep your radio right here on 1350 AM for today's show and keep it dialed in throughout the week. Or you can have us at your fingertips on your phone uh, using the Veritas Catholic Network app. On the app, you'll be able to listen to uplifting conversation and edifying programs wherever, whenever you want. You can get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at www.veritascatholic.com. We are bringing the truth to Connecticut and New York. And when you're tired of listening to noise on the radio, put on Veritas and be fed. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. It is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, good morning, my friend, and happy Easter to you and to all our listeners, a blessed one. Thanks, Excellency. Hey, I'm a little excited today because we have um, a local rock star on with us, I think, today, Excellency. It's, oh, uh, he's going to be impossible to work with now. That you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to introduce uh, John Grasso. John is the director of digital media for the Diocese of Bridgeport. Uh, I'm particularly fond of the fact that he is an alumnus of my alma mater at Boston College. Plus, huh? yeah, and John also huh. yeah he also has a master's degree, as I'm sure you know, in corporate mm-hmm. communications from Sacred mm-hmm. Heart University in Fairfield. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John sits on the advisory boards of uh, the Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality and also for Sister to Sister, which supports educational and pastoral programs in six sub-Saharan countries. Um, He is uh, obviously the real deal, and he is headed soon to the Vatican because John was recently chosen by the Holy See's Dicastery for Communications to be part of their international digital media program. And so... Our listeners should know that since the beginning of Let Me Be Frank, uh, John has been a driving force behind the scenes. And so now it's nice to finally have you on this side of the microphone, John. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Steve. That was probably the most generous characterization anyone's ever given me. I think if my wife is listening to this, she's going to hang up and say, let me tell you the real story. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know what, John? I'm going to add one other thing, too. All right, Steve, your, your introduction of John was excellent and true. It was all true, obviously, but um, we have been working together, John, for six years, I think, just about, and I have to say, you have done a phenomenal job of putting social media at the service of my ministry, the diocesan ministries, and a lot of the initiatives that we've been working on together. So uh, of all the people who could talk about this topic, you are probably the best versed, and it's it's great to work with you. Um so I'm delighted you're here as well. And that's my first question, my friend, if I may. Um, how, how do you see social media in a post-pandemic world being at service to the gospel, to the diocese, you know, to the ministries that we have? How do you see this evolving? That's a great question, Bishop, and, and our listeners should know it is one of the honors of my life uh, to be able to work uh, with and for you. Um, 
Your, your question is the fundamental, uh, I guess, thesis uh, for any communicator, any church communicator that is mm-hmm. in uh, a post-pandemic world. Now, please God, we're hurtling towards a post-pandemic world. And social media was the lifeboat for, uh, I would say, the majority of church organizations uh, when we were uh, forced to protect lives and shut down or uh, those of us who could not attend mass when we reopened uh, could plug back in. And so the social media has kept us connected and tethered to the church, but it is a digital tether. And what we do is so importantly sacramental uh, and, and a fundamental aspect of what we do has to be in person. And so digital media, um, you're, you're forced to confront two competing truths in a post-pandemic world. Is we've used this tool for so much, so often, uh, but we are, you know, we are a body that has to gather in community, that has to gather for the sacraments uh, and, and hungers for that. So I think a lot of what we need to explore is, is how we can, how digital media and social media can supplement the physical encounter, uh, which I think we've all kind of come to discover if we hadn't already known it. We really need each other and we really need to be with each other. And so social media can keep us connected in the meantime, can supplement and enhance those connections, perhaps even lengthen those conversations. But it's no supplement or substitute for uh, in-person gathering. It's certainly no supplement or substitute for being at mass uh, or being uh in the or encountering the sacramental life of the church. So I think it's finding that balance, right? Is we, we mm-hmm. did everything on mm-hmm. social media and digital media. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We can't do that going forward, but we also can't go back to uh, the old normal, which was the church being apprehensive on social media and apprehensive with these tools. So it's, right. I think it's going to be coming to an equilibrium, whatever that mm-hmm. might look like. Mm-hmm. You know, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So I think, to your mm-hmm. point, a lot of us were hurtled into this. A lot of pastors who were shy about using social media as a real evangelical tool, they were hurtled into it. And in our diocese, with your help and other people's help, they discovered that they actually could be good at it, right? That they could oh, use yeah. it effectively, right? So now they do have another weapon, if I could use that term, another arrow <laughs> in the quiver to be able to get the word out, right? Um but but this is something I also want you to, to reflect on, if you don't mind. And it's new in my mind. I've only been thinking about it for the last maybe few days. And it came to me when I was reflecting. I'm reading a book, Divine Intimacy. And Father Gabriel mm-hmm. has some tremendous insights in that book. Every few years, I read through it, you know, one one section each day through the year. And he talked about being countercultural, that a Christian is by definition someone who's countercultural. So you live in the world, but you don't become, you know, equal or identical to the world. And I think, John, that's going to be part of the challenge we're going to have to face because the world is hurtling full throttle into this virtual context because businesses can save money. They don't have to rent space. You could work at home. Um, communications accelerating, and we're going to have to say, well, that's good, but we're also not going to follow everything culture tells us, because just like you said very well, we have to be in person. We have to, we're a family that needs to eat together, literally eat together at mass, which you can't receive online. 
So talk to me about how you and all of the experts in this field can baptize social media, right? So that Christians can be truly in it, but countercultural at the same time. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? That's a mouthful of a question. It, it is, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, Bishop, because, I mean, this is something that I think has been um, sort of the overarching theme of, of, of baptizing uh, things that the secular world wants us to use. That's been a cornerstone of, of your ministry is sort of sanctifying these spaces. And it's what we've tried to do on digital media, I guess, for the last mm-hmm. six years. But it's, um, we're, we're really going to be confronted with uh, the, uh, a different social dilemma if you will. And it's what I've used now in my ministry um, for the last couple of years is how do we use these very imperfect tools to communicate something perfect? Uh, You know, the gospel, the magisterium, Mm -hmm. those are, those are perfect things. And Facebook and Twitter are not. um, And the trend, I'm not so much as troubled by the the um, ubiquitous nature of digital media now. I mean, I certainly don't like people staring at their screens when they should be present to the people they're with, but I'm more worried about the nature of the social media outlets and mediums and Mm. businesses using them, treating users like commodities, like Mm -hmm. means to an end or products to be bought or sold. So part of being countercultural is the church can't buy into this model, right? this model of trying to get as many people to follow as humanly possible, what we do, the model of trying to sell quote unquote something, an event, it's almost the church needs to be conscious of not being deceptive or using deceptive tactics in PR or marketing or communications. And uh, even if it's for good intentions, right? So even if it's using uh, some of these uh, paid tools that Facebook provides, or, or manipulating the algorithm to get more people to come to a mass, well, that, that is, becomes a very slippery slope and a dangerous sort of avenue towards using these mediums for bad, not for good. So um, right. a lot right. of what we have to do has to be invitational, right? It has to be right. a ministry of presence. It has to be a ministry of community. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think you do very well on your Facebook page, Bishop. Maybe you want to explain a little bit about mm-hmm. uh, what your vision has always been for these digital mm-hmm. spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's a, well, thank you for, for, for raising that. Um, again, with your help, I've always imagined what I do on social media as evangelical, that is invitational. It's to give someone pause to think in his or her, you know, ordinary life about something that will lead them to perhaps greater faith or greater charity or to, to, to appreciate that that which the Lord has asked us to be in the world, right? To be disciples in the world. So um, I'm not a big blogger in that sense that writes long, you know, expositions. Uh, because, But that's just not my style, right? I, I say what I have to say and just move on. But again, with your help, I think we've been able to reach a decent amount of people and given them something worthwhile to think about. And now that, Steve, with your help, having this podcast, which I never imagined I would ever have a podcast, to be very honest, until, you know, just about a year ago, um, we've been using my Facebook page um, for a lot of the audio, too, whether it's the online masses or my homilies or the rest. 
And for some reason, my senses, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, we are very much more of an audio age than a reading age when it comes to social media. People are more apt to listen to something that they find interesting than to, to read it. So in many ways, I look at the last six years and the two of you, the two of you, both you, Steve, and you, John, have come together to really give me a great privilege to be able to put out into, you know, the, I call it the electronic continent, whatever it is out there. Um, seeds, it's the seeds, it's seeds. And the Lord will let this sprout, however the Lord wants it to do. But I have to tell you, since people are coming back, and I've said this to you, John, in our curial meetings, I'm amazed at the amount of people who say, Bishop, I liked that homily last Sunday. I, I've, I've never met the person. And, and I think to myself, well, I'm preaching to a congregation now online that is far greater than I've ever done in person, right? With the one exception of perhaps when it was um, uh, NCYC in Indianapolis where there were right. 22,000 young people. But other than that, it's, so that's a whole new vista. It's, so it seeds, right? In the end, it's all about planting seeds and the Lord lets them grow the way he wants. Mm-hmm. But talk oh, yeah. about Nicole. this, though, my friend. Yeah, but John, excuse yeah. me for interrupting no. you, but I want no, you to, I want you to dive deeper into the darker side of all this, particularly in Catholic social media. The darker side being the infighting that's going on and some of the stuff that's going on on social media. And if I'm a, trying to be a good Catholic, and I use social media to try to educate me and help me help me to to grow my faith. How do I, how do I navigate what's out there? Any, any suggestions, advice? It's a tremendous question, Bishop. And it's something you and I in our, you know, in Mm -hmm. our ministry or in your ministry that I supplement have encountered almost on a daily basis. And the pandemic has exacerbated it in a, in a really dramatic way. Um, And that is to say, I think, and I, I mean this with all love and respect to the people that are doing good in these spaces. But Catholic Twitter is probably the worst example for evangelization uh, or catechesis, but specifically evangelization that we have out there. I have a lot of friends that have fallen away from the church or are um, not entirely or weren't fully catechized that see what's happening on Catholic social media. And, and of course, they're, they're, I would say possibly some of them are looking for reason some of them are 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 searching for something they see what's happening on catholic social media and they go well if you guys don't have your own house in order i'm not i'm not coming in this is a mess and um it's a problem that the vatican uh it seems to be aware of when at our meetings we've discussed um and it's not you know it's not just bishops or, or twitter priests kind of going at each other on twitter which unfortunately happens and that that those things those moments are almost cause for real scandal but it's it's Catholic lay people. Um, there's a group uh, in Connecticut, a, a Facebook group, where a lot of this happens. You, you know, a lot of uh, people are calling each other heretics, which is a very serious accusation. Uh, people um, are condemning um, others for for political acts, uh, and so that is a horrible example because we are we're fighting. We're we're Often we each have part of the story here. So there's, there might be some Catholics that are a little more traditionally inclined that love the Latin mass, and that is perfectly valid. Then there are some Catholics that are more 
um, Vatican II inclined, and that's perfectly valid. And the fighting, the aggressive screaming back and forth, the name calling, uh, it's a real problem because the secular world sees it. And we're not only are we adopting secular habits, right? So, uh, you know, calling each other Karens or uh, there's this horrible meme called Susan from the Parish Council, which basically um, is a very derogatory thing for anybody that may have a, an inclination towards Vatican II uh, Catholicism. But we're making people feel not just bad, not just problematic. We're making people feel wrong or heretical for liking something that is canonically acceptable. Um, and it's happening aggressively on social media, and it's driving people away from the church. And so to combat yeah. that, we have a mm-hmm. responsibility, right, Bishop? You, myself, mm-hmm. anybody that uses mm-hmm. these mediums, because if you have a Twitter account, congratulations, you are a spokesperson for the church. You are a missionary or you are a minister. You have to get out there and you have to first lead by example. So you have to tweet and post uh, prophetically, I would mm-hmm. say, not just, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm trying mm-hmm. to evangelize and, and trying to spread the gospel. But you, in your witness, in your example, mm-hmm. there can't be, you can't be railroading people uh, on any issue. Uh, you can't, you have to contextualize anything you tweet about. It has to be from uh, the perspective of Christ. It, I, I, it sounds hokey, Bishop, and you might roll your eyes at this, but what would Jesus tweet is what I ask myself every time if I'm tweeting on behalf, behalf of John Grasso or the diocese. Uh, if Jesus was here and he saw his followers fighting like this, what would he say? Oh my gosh, could you imagine? Lord have mercy. You know, it's. I know, I'm terrified it, of what that might be. Uh, allow me just uh, uh, to share a reflection too that is, um, that's been on my heart since Easter. And for our listeners, um, I had the great privilege of having my family up in Connecticut for Easter. So. They all piled into the former house, the former residence in Trumbull, and they stayed for three days. And um, so everyone was there, you know, everyone of my immediate family. And there was a moment (laughs) when we were sitting at the table when there were, I think, at least three conversations going on simultaneously. And I looked at them and I began to intuit for maybe for the first time in a powerful way, how like my sister and I are very different. Yet there are characteristics of my mother and father, different ones in each of us, that only am I now beginning to understand. And I see um, my sister's characteristics and my brother-in-law in my niece and nephew. And why is that important? is because that simple insight is exactly what is being lost in everything you just described, John. In the end, we're all made in the image and likeness of God, and we are all disciples of the Lord. But we will reflect his presence in different ways, in different tastes, in different um, aspects of the church's life that resonate more deeply in my heart, let's say, for example, than you, right? Mm-hmm. And why why would we why would we then default to the differences and fighting rather than take a step back and say, well, who's the common element here, which is the Lord? Who is the common element? That there's a beauty in the fact that we are not all the same. 
there's a beauty that our differences can be highlighted and we can still be held together as a family. Uh, to your point, it, it, what's missing is Christ in the whole thing. Re referring to the Lord who is the master of us all and will bring us all to our knees in judgment. Do people understand this? They will, they will kneel before the Lord in judgment one day. And do they actually think their opinions are that, that important before the Lord? That, that, that ceases to amaze me how people blame God for their own pretentiousness, their own opinions as if they are divine truth. Honestly, Lord, have mercy. So maybe right, that's the way to baptize. It's, gonna be, it's, it's, gonna be a... No, go no, ahead. tell me. Your show. No, it's your show. I was, I was, the only thing I was, I think there's some people that are in for a rude awakening on, on of course, any side of the aisle, uh, if there even is an aisle, when, when they, I think social media or these outlets reinforce that behavior. They want you to fight. They want you to, to block the person that you disagree with because they want you to be in this feedback loop of, of my point is the only right point. And I'm not, I, I'm not saying that Facebook is deliberately trying to divide the church. But division sells, fighting sells. People, when uh, allowed the space to do so, people can, get, can kind of give in to their worst vices. So you're right. Uh, if uh, My advice to any Catholic right now on social media is take a step back. What are you trying to do with this tweet, this post? Are you really trying to bring this person to Christ, trying to bring somebody else to Christ? Or are you trying to be right? We have right, to die right. to ourselves a little bit and stop trying right, to be right. Right. And the point is to be right. You aren't, in fact, because no one has the fullness of the truth. That is the great fallacy here. You know, yeah. one thing we've mentioned this, I've mentioned this before in other broadcasts, but maybe this is the time to just mention it again. All right. The whole process of excommunication in the church has always existed not to condemn people, but for medicinal purposes, to help them all right, to see the error of, the, of whatever they're about and bring them back to church. It's not to kick people out for the sake of kicking them out, but it's to help them to come back, right, in the fullness of faith. So when someone calls someone else a heretic with the intent that get out and don't come back, that's not in the mind of the church and never has been. It's not in the mind of Christ and has never have been. And therefore, on what ground do you stand by doing it? And you think yeah. in the end the Lord does not see it? And he will not call someone to judgment for doing it? You could be delusional and think that won't happen. But remember hearing the words from me today when you are in that moment. And the Lord said, did you listen to what you just heard? <laughs> right? You're right. Uh, and not to uh, belabor the point, Bishop, but if I had a dollar for every person that's seemingly holier than, or says they're holier than you or the Pope or Pope Benedict, or Pope Emeritus, I, I would not have to work for you because people really believe that their version is the definitive version. So I can only imagine that encounter with God being God uh, at the, you know, at, at the foot of judgment saying, I, you, you really thought that you knew better than my appointed, you know, my appointed representative on earth? I, are you sure about that? Because, because you have a Twitter account? <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it, a judgment will be quite an interesting moment for all of us, myself included. Oh, myself included. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, my friend. So when I think we're going to have a break in just just a minute or so, but when we come back, um, first of all, I want you to talk a little bit about this Vatican project that you're involved with, because I think the listeners will be very interested, and it is a great honor. And you will have, I think, a great voice to play in how the church on the universal level deals with this new frontier. So gather your thoughts, and when we come back, uh, that's where we could start. Is that okay, Steve? That sounds great. You are listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. The topic today is social media, and Bishop Caggiano has been speaking with John Grasso, the director of digital media for the Diocese of Bridgeport. We will be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. We are picking up on a conversation between Bishop Frank and John Grasso, the Digital Media Director for the Diocese of Bridgeport. Um, John, you were just about to tell us about uh, your upcoming project at the Vatican. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I am uh, very fortunate uh, to have been selected by the Dicastery uh, for Communication on uh, what the Vatican is calling faith communication in the digital world. And it's a project that's multi-tiered, uh, multi-stepped. It's actually organized very, very well. We started over Zoom every Saturday. Um, and the first part was uh, a listening part. We were brought um, a lot of experts from around the country. Uh, Cardinal Tagle spoke to us, actually around the world. Cardinal Tagle spoke to us and uh, Brett Robinson, um, from the McGrath Institute spoke to us. We had really fantastic speakers giving us every different prism, prism that you could view faith communication uh, through, which is great. Well, now we're working on, uh, we were each assigned um, a Vatican office to prepare a communications plan for that we will pitch then to the group and to the organizers and to the office that hopefully will then be adopted. And then after that, uh, we'll be assigned one of the four major basilicas of Rome to do a similar uh, thing that, uh, you know, to get a communications plan approved and then adopted by the basilica. Uh, I've never been to Rome, so that will be a fascinating experience for me. Mm. And then finally, we'll be able to, um, yes, it'll be fun. I can't, can't wait to go to the country where my ancestors are from. But mm-hmm. uh, the, final, uh, the final part of this is, is, in my opinion, the most exciting part, which is we're going to de- be developing a uh, document, a list of best digital practices, not so much post on Facebook at 9 a.m., that's when the most people are online, but more uh, what should faith communications and digital media look like for Kenya, for the United States, for Brazil, for um, Myanmar. Uh, So that's going to be fascinating, is how can we develop a list of best practices that are transferable in that way? So we're keeping it very, vague is not the right word, but we're keeping it very 30,000 feet. And our guiding document has been a communio progressio from the Second Vatican Council. And it is a revelatory document. And it is, mm-hmm. besides the references to video cassettes, uh, which were not around when I was born, uh, it is as relevant today um, as it was back then. And that, that's the beauty of the church. Um, so we've been having a lot of fun. And, and hopefully, pandemic permitting, I'll be able to go to Rome in June for a week-long immersion um, in the, the 
the four major basilicas before we get uh, one of ours as, a, uh, as an assignment. You know, John, that is, first of all, that's tremendous. And I'm very proud of you that you were chosen. I mean, how many people are in this program altogether? Oh, uh, 16, counting myself. Yeah, right. So we're talking 16. And they, they took people from all over the world, which is absolutely tremendous. When you go to Rome, you will love it. Oh, my gosh. Your first trip. Oh, my gosh. You will love it. Let's, let's pray that Rome is now in this lockdown for, I don't know, the third or fourth time. So let's hope and pray that they'll turn the corner. It seems that they are beginning to turn the corner so that you can still mm. go in person right in June. So we have to pray. Um, but now, so let's change subjects for a second. You and I have had a healthy debate offline. So we're going to bring it into the light, my friend. On All the right. Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. Um, could you tell our listeners what the uh, documentary is about and what your take is on it? Sure. Uh, so The Social Dilemma is a fascinating documentary about, uh, I alluded to it a little bit before, it, it, the systems are very imperfect. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google, YouTube, you name it. The Social Dilemma is a sort of uh, peeling back of the facade of these uh, social networks into people that formerly worked for them uh, and built these sort of complex, almost unknowable algorithms, which is a little terrifying. Uh, it's, it's peeling back those layers and, and looking straight into the heart of what these institutions are trying to do with your data, with your information, with your profile, how they are trying to weaponize it, how they're trying to sell it, how they're trying to uh, create and uh, manipulate behavior. And my take on it is it certainly was uh, very important. I think everybody should watch it, just for the record. I think everyone should watch it. I think be careful with making conclusions based on it. The movie uses the exact same approach that these social media outlets use to convince you about a topic. It is like shot for shot out of the playbook. Um, mm -hmm. They use campy dialogue and they, they, the way they present the algorithm is like these three sinister, uh, you know, disembodied people that are like, oh, we should, you know, Jake is getting ice cream. Let's go put, uh, you know, an ice cream shop mm -hmm. that he might mm -hmm. like, you know, in his past. That's not what happens at all. Um, I mean, there are some things that are similar to it. So I think it was, it, it had some errors and some half-truths truths to present a point which I think is a good point. So we talk about using imperfect tools to get to, not a perfect, but to get to uh, making our point. I think The Social Dilemma does that well. The problem is, is the movie ends with, well, I don't know how we can fix this. Maybe big tech can fix it. You know, may maybe we can fix the problem that we created, or I don't know, we have, you know, basically they, it stops short of, of mm -hmm. it basically says cut, cut, run as far as you possibly can away from social media and never look back. And that's just not, not only is that not going to happen, that's not reality now. I mean, people have been saying that about it. technology. People said that about the printing press. They said that about TV. So for me, the movie, I, I just like that movie because I think it, it really hams up the negative aspects of social media without regard for what we could do to sanctify these spaces. And for me, the answer is not big tech can fix this, though I think there should be regulation. The answer is the church should fix this. By our example, number one, First and foremost, we've got to get our house together, but then by uh, bringing light to this darkness. So I was not as 
excited about the movie or perhaps mm-hmm. moved by the movie as a certain mm-hmm. bishop on the show whose name yes of course i'm glad thank you for the entree see i i everything you said i agree with but what disturbs me perhaps a bit more than you or or perhaps maybe others is the whole question of freedom because in the end there was a line in that uh that show that struck me like a two by four and in order to understand why it struck me that way let's just uh pedal back a bit and in ancient history when there was only television right (laughs) um companies would do market research and put together commercials that were meant to persuade a person to buy their product even in the Super Bowl to this day, people are still fascinated with whatever commercials come on and they pay, oh my gosh, just a ton of money. Million. Right? right. But the line in the show is the com- social media at its worst has made the person the commodity. That is, these individuals, businesses, and even political causes are buying entree to people. They are literally buying the influence over people. And that influence is individual. It's no longer corporate. Now, I must tell you, fundamental teaching of the church, social teaching of the church is the respect of human life. It's a fundamental theological principle that Christ came for the salvation of every human being who comes to believe in him. And that offer has to be free. So this is my fear that there are many people who unwittingly do not realize that not only is their behavior being monitored, but it's being manipulated. And it's being sold precisely to be manipulated. So you see the tribalism, I've spoken about this a lot, John, you know I've spoken about this many times, the tribalism that's now Mm -hmm. in some areas of social media, that tribalism for the longest time I thought just happened by happen chance. Now I'm beginning to wonder whether or not it was deliberate because someone or a group actually had entree, access, or conceivably paid for the information that would get them in touch with like-minded individuals so that they can start their cause online and we've seen what what effect that has had just in our country alone and what disturbs me is that the people who are responding have no idea on on what's going in the background that got them chosen and involved in the first place it's almost robbing someone's freedom so i think you're right i think you you, you, we shouldn't panic but we have to regulate what's going on so that people know what's being done. Then if you fall into it, you're doing it freely. But it's particularly young people, because another thing I wanted to mention, if, if you don't mind, I want you to talk about is where this really strikes me is with young people, you know, certainly far younger than me, even younger than you, who are in their teenage years, who are who are experiencing growing anxiety and depression and disassociation 
First of all, is that true that that is actually happening in different parts of you know of of our communities? And what do we do about it? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, well, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think so. This is where I think you and I differ on the social dilemma, and where my my thoughts and and prayers have, have developed with social media, and that is to say. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think that it was a sinister group of people or uh, human or deliberate human intervention that has created these spaces. Um, you know, in, in psychology 101 or AP Psych, we learn about confirmation bias and we learn how hungry we are as humans to be validated in what we believe, how much we want to be right, how much we want to be the smartest person in the room. Um, there's this sort of theory with conspiracy theories is that people, they want to feel like they know something that somebody else doesn't. They want to be part of a group. I think that coupled with this rapid disassociation from some of your, your standard societal um, groups, the church being one of the biggest examples has created a void of community in people's lives. And so where do they seek it? They seek it online. They seek it online you know, maybe it started off as a group of people that were just vaguely talking about politics. And then it evolved into, you know, dense conspiracy theories because there was no institution, there was no person, uh, there was no group of people to say, hey, um, no, you're now way past the line. So Mm -hmm. I think social media exposes, takes advantage of and enhances bad human behavior. And for me, that's not a sinister group of individuals. I mean, I, we could talk about it, you know, QAnon or, or any of these other uh, organizations, but they're victims of a system that takes advantage, that has been designed to essentially sell them. And so the way it sells them is by taking advantage of their faults and failings. And for me, you could trace that right back to the evil one. Um, that to me uh... feels, and I don't want to get too existential here, but that's where I think the problem is. And so, for our teens and our young adults, social media undoubtedly, I mean, it's, there's study after study after study, uh, undoubtedly contributes to this depression and anxiety growing among them. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. that has more to do with society and the, soci- the societal issues we face from disaffiliating with the church, from uh, unplugging God, from uh, our society, uh, from our lives, from trying to go at this all alone. Because the human... We're, we were designed, beautifully designed and loved by God to, to crave community. And so if we don't get it where we should be getting it, we start to crave and seek it in other places, which become, you know, vices. Right. So right. obviously there right. are more right. problems than that. There are a lot right. of demands on young people right. these days. Okay. You know, right. you're the expert on that. Yeah, but you know what, John? So now I'm going to go one, one step further. When I was young, okay, in prehistoric times, and there wasn't any of this stuff, <laughs> uh, I, sat, I sat in my room. And I immediately w- was bored and I would go out and seek out my friends and do what we used to do. Stick ball, stoop ball, hold the softball, the whole thing. Yeah. Go to a movie, all right? Part of what's different now is there is this alternative sitting right on your desk or somewhere else in your room, right? And in some sense, when we were young, when we're teenagers, particularly young teenagers, every single one of us went through this period of self-doubt. Um, you know, you wonder if I'm going to get accepted by the crowd. 
you know, there's a bit of apprehension and fear. Am I going to belong? You know, they're going to look at me as if I have three heads. I'm not athletic enough. Mm. I'm not, you know, funny enough. I'm not. And in prehistoric times, you had to barrel through it because you either stayed in your room alone, which some did, or you had to barrel through it, right? In the rough and tumble right. of other people. But now there is this alternative where it almost seems like the safer alternative, but it has all these pitfalls that you just described. Okay, so I'm a parent. I'm a parent of a 14, 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. I come to you and say, Mr. Grasso, so what advice do you give me as a parent when it comes to the social media? Like how do, how do, how, how do I, you know, um, how do I allow it to be part of my, my son and daughter's life? But like, what are the rules? Like, what are the guidelines? What are the parameters? Anything. Tell me how I can help my young person me into this. What, what were some of the things you would say to, to me as a parent? So uh, I'll say a couple of my pieces of advice, but then I'd be interested, Bishop, because because you are so good with youth and young adults uh, to, to hear what you have to say as well. So for, for me, number one thing would be start at home, right? Um, it, parents, I, I see this more often than not. I've thought before the pandemic, rather, when we could go out to restaurants, but I would see a family eating at a restaurant. The mom and dad would have their phones out and the kids would be like, what is happening here? I thought we were at dinner. Um, and it, it was usually mom and dad uh, so it, you have to model good behavior. Number one, um, try to be present to your children of any age. Um, heck, my dog does not like it when I'm uh, on the, uh, the phone. So uh, if my dog, who is clearly not a human, uh, your two or three-year-old knows they want your attention. So that's number one. Start there. Build a good foundation. Number two is going to be controversial. But I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you can establish all the guidelines, rules, restrictions, parameters you want. Your kids are going to find a way around them. The digital world is built mm-hmm. so that your kids mm-hmm. can find a way around them. So mm-hmm. um, start young. Start and, and reinforce um, good digital habits. Reinforce, keep that line of communication open between you and your team, especially if you have a you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old. Keep that line of communication open. What are you seeing here? What bothered you? You know, I... I, I take the Ignatian principle, consolation and desolation. If you saw something online that's really bothered, like we should be able to talk about that without, um, without severe judgment on my part. And then of course you can't abandon restrictions altogether. So I think having healthy restrictions, like, you know, yeah, I need to have access to your accounts. I'm not going to jump my part of me as a parent. I need to have access. I need to be able to jump in if something is wrong. I promise you, I will not jump in unless it is an absolute emergency, but those keys, need to be with me. Um, and I would say nothing good really ever happens after 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So I think having some healthy time restrictions is probably good too. Dinner table should be devices free. Common sense solutions and dialogue, I think will go a lot further than you can only be on the internet 20 minutes a day and no Facebook for you because your kids will find a way around that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do yeah, you think? I, I would, yeah, no, I would, uh, first of all, I do, I do think that you know, there are those in our diocese, for example, who want to banish all of this from the lives of their young people. And my advice to them has always been exactly what you said, that you cannot avoid it forever. And it is better that you teach your young people, your children, how to deal with it rather than someone unknown to you teaching them how to use it. Right. So mm. you you lose control in the process. So it's inevitable. I absolutely agree. I, I do think. Um, if I were a parent, 
the two things I would insist on is balance. So I would not have necessarily an arbitrary time limit on how long you could be on social media, but for as long as you're on social media, that is the time you need to be interacting with people, whether it's your family or your friends or other human beings. So if you're 45 minutes on, find 45 minutes with them, right? And, and my hope would be if they do that long enough, they will find the in-person experience far more attractive over time. They will find it much more appealing because it is in fact more appealing, right? So that's one. And the second is to your point about having access, I would want them to always in the back of their mind, every time they are anywhere in this digital universe, if my father were with me now, could I show him what I'm looking at now? And if the answer is I'm not sure, you shouldn't be there. And if the answer is no, get out. Because to your mm. point, I'm not trusting is like you are. I would definitely look. I have no doubt in my mind. My father did. <laughs> I would. It just is what it is. And, you know, but you want to build trust. Because I, I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I was growing up. And I would always like, you know, when we got into mischief and I would say to myself, my gosh, if my father were here now, he killed me. So why do I think he's not going to find out? Right? So in some way, shape or form, where's the conscience piece in the end is really what I'm saying. How do we help our young people to develop a conscience when they're using this to, to, to mature their conscience so that that voice of, of, of reckoning, that voice of, of being accountable becomes just part of their everyday life, right? They're, I mean, there are going to be fits and starts, you know, because that's growing up. You know, you learn as much right. from your mistakes as your good behavior. So, I mean, parents also have to be patient. But uh, of everything that we've spoken about, the one that intrigues me the most is the balance, right? I, I think part of of the, uh, the, the most essential part of growing up is interacting with other people, role modeling with other people, learning from their example, um, sometimes from even from their bad example, learning that I'm not going to be like that. I don't want to be like that, right? And you, you could only do that in limited ways on social media. But I do say, you know, John, you, you're young, um, recently married, I've said this to you in private. I said it here on the podcast. I'm going to repeat myself again. I think the vocation of um, being a parent or future parent, God willing, is the toughest vocation in the modern world. Because mm. the whole book is being rewritten all the time, right? And this technology of which you are a professional is in some way leading the way a lot of this uh, innovation, which can be a two-edged sword. So, hmm. it's a good, what good point, Bishop. I think it, I think it points to, again, kind of what we were originally talking about when we started is the church. There's a void, right? There's a void of perhaps leadership is not the right word, but there's a void of good example on social media. And for me, the reason I'm still here, um, it, besides the fact that I, you know, I love working for you is because I, I think the church has the, the answer to that void. The church can 
uh, through our institutions, but through faithful people, priests, lay, religious, uh, show and help our young people and our quote unquote old people how to develop a Catholic digital media conscience. And um, right. it's right. not hard. Right. We've, we've, you know, we have, it's just using what Christ gave us, uh, mm-hmm. the tools that Christ gave us and continues to give us. Yep. You know, I have another theory too, if I may, that's growing in my heart that I'm going to share here as well. And it may upset some people, but you know, it is what it is. Um, I have often said that the the one the evil one uh, shows his presence with the three D's right division deception and distraction. And when you look at the landscape of social media, um, not to become too apocalyptic, but I could see his influence, and I could see it because, as you indicated, John, um, when these groups come together. Um, with a single-mindedness, and they use that single-mindedness not to have dialogue, but to divide or to go to war. In my mind, whether they realize it or not, they're not only hurting the church, but 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 they're pawns in a larger spiritual game that they may not even realize. Mm. That I'm going to call them to realize, right? Because if you help destroy the unity of the church. Who gains by that? It's a question everybody needs to think about. Right? Amen. I agree. Let's let's take one more break. Um, This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Bishop Caggiano is talking about social media with his guest, John Grasso, the digital media director for the Diocese of Bridgeport. We'll be right back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. His Excellency has been speaking today with John Grasso, who is the Digital Media Director for the Diocese of Bridgeport. And I'm going to exercise a little host privilege here, and I'm not going to give you guys listener questions today, but I I have questions. I'd like to ask each of you, what are the one or two or three sites that you visit each day, um, every day? Maybe start with with John and then then you, Excellency. Well, for me... Uh, there are two. Every okay. morning, I go to the Vatican website to see what's going on, and I go to CNA, Catholic News Agency, mm-hmm. and that they emphasize uh, events in the church in the United States, and those are the only two I visit every day. Excellent. John, how about John, you? John, what do you visit? Yeah. So uh, I start my morning on uh, Twitter or Reddit, um, if, I, if we're being honest. Now, those are very curated... M- for me, I have very specific people I follow, so I get my updates about the things that I'm very nerdy about, Disney and Star Wars, but I also follow like 900 people related to the church, and so I get all my, I get all my church news then pretty quick. Uh, but really, uh, be, because of the nature of my work, I, I'm on the diocesan website, my parish website, every single day, multiple times a day, but I actually go to Catholic News Service, which is out of the bishops. Um, I, I would say probably even more than both of those combined, because... 
they're updating pretty uh, regularly, and I like to be abreast of what's going on in the church um, nationally. Awesome. Okay, and then, um, Excellency, I thought I'd ask you, um, so I've recently heard and had conversations with folks, uh, with parents who said that their young people in their homes are really suffering. You alluded to this earlier in today's mm-hmm. conversation, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, and I also know from close personal experience in my family that mental illness, um, it really, people really suffer and mm-hmm. families suffer. Um, and then I've heard some folks say that, um, well, it's just a matter of faith. You need more faith. You don't have enough faith. Can you, can you talk about maybe the intersection here, faith Absolutely. and psychology? Absolutely. Two, uh, it's, it's two simple points. First, mental illness should never be stigmatized because it is illness, no different than physical illness. And we need to recognize where it exists and seek help for an individual, whether that help is in counseling or whether that help may actually be medication. Because the second simple fact is that most mental illness has a physiological basis. And because it is a physiological basis, I cannot will myself not to be a diabetic. I cannot, my faith will not make my AFib go away. Right? Except if there's a miraculous intervention, which would apply to both physical and mental illness. But in fact, that physiological basis needs to be addressed professionally and medically. Right? So... Again, it's like everything else. These people could be very well-meaning, but they're only seeing part of the truth. It's, it's a false choice. And you know how I feel about false choices, mm-hmm. right? We are long past, long past the naivete that I should be ashamed if I am struggling mentally with some affliction and that somehow my fault because I can't change myself to fix it. Because both are not true. It's simple as that. Great. Okay. So if you're listening and you have questions for Bishop Frank, send them in. You can um, send them in via social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Thanks to the very good work of our guest today, you can find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, John, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, Bishop, for having me. Oh, my pleasure, John. John, I'll see you in the office, actually. (laughs) Before you go, before you go, Excellency, would you please give us all your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. In the light of Easter joy, Lord our God, we ask that you bless our work this day and all those whom we encounter. May the joy of the risen Lord fill our hearts and strengthen our wills to proclaim that Christ is risen He is truly risen. He is the Lord and Savior of us all. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. See you next week, my friend. Amen.